Thanks be to God. Thank you, Nancy. Before we consider today's scripture reading and today's message, I have words of thanks I want to share with a number of people. Thank you, Nancy, for leading us. Uh, I never say blessed and highly favored. When someone asks me how I'm doing, my favorite thing to say is too blessed to be stressed, too anointed to be disappointed. (laughs) Because I get just to watch people's annoyance just drain the life force out of their body. It's the most obnoxious pastor thing you could say. Thanks to the band for leading us. Thanks to our tech team for connecting us in person and online. I want to say hey to everybody who's watching online. Uh, specifically those of you who uh, are joining from areas of the United States where you don't have churches like ours close to you. A lot of you have been reaching out and saying, you're my church. Is that okay? And the answer is absolutely. We're honored to be your church. Um, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. I also wanted to point out one of the things that uh, I do is I use social media for ministry. I don't do politics or sports or family or things like that on social media, but I do use it for ministry. And I was talking with Clint earlier this week, and if you're one of the folks who's joining online and you're in one of those places where it's hard for you to register because of how you're watching it, I know that's the case with my parents because of the device they use to stream, just shoot me a note on social media. Uh, Look me up on whichever one you use. Let me know that you worshiped with us today, and I'll make sure that we register your attendance. The comms team works those accounts with me, and so we'd be happy to make sure that you're registered. You can do that here if you're in person too and you forgot. Uh, wherever, whatever social media platform you're on, just look up Lance Marshall. Uh, one of us is a lawyer in Pennsylvania, and one of us is a pastor in Fort Worth. So if you have any legal issues in the Commonwealth, I want to recommend him to you. And uh, if you want to talk about Jesus, I'm your guy. So uh, I want to start today with a hypothetical an extended hypothetical. I like hypotheticals as a way to kick an idea or an issue around. So I want to invite you to imagine a hypothetical. I want you to imagine that you're 20 years old again. You're younger than 20. I want you to fast forward. Imagine that you're 20 years old and you're you. You're you. You're just 20 years old. I'm choosing to give myself just like amazing shoulder length hair in this hypothetical, but you can do whatever you desire. Imagine that you're 20 years old and you live 30 500 years before now in the ancient Near East and the reason that we call that we now call Israel, Palestine, or Jordan, that kind of area in the ancient Near East. And you're an Israelite. You're 20 years old. You're an Israelite. And you've lived in this land since your tribe, your community settled there when you were a little kid. And it's all you've ever known. You've grown up in that community and uh, maybe your family and your extended family makes money by shepherding or maybe by uh, growing foodstuffs or something along those lines. But just imagine you're in that situation and you're wedded. You're wedded and you and your spouse at this time particularly desire to have a child in a way that's normal for human beings everywhere. And you desire to have a child and it's just not happening for you in the way that you would like it to happen and in the time frame in which you would like it to happen. And that's true in our day now, of course. It's equally true 3,500 years ago. Uh, 3,500 years ago, there wouldn't have been other options with, you know, medical assistance or anything like that. So you would actually see just how common that is because our our culture kind of hides it. Previous cultures, it would be very common and easy to see how common that is. Imagine that's something that you really, you really struggle with and you wish it was different in your life. And then imagine in the midst of that struggle, you hear, you know, there's people who've been living in this community and around us for a long time. And they've got their own pantheon of gods, you know, multiple gods who address multiple issues for the faithful. And there's a God of fertility. Do you realize that? There's a God of fertility. And this God of fertility doesn't ask much of you. Just maybe some special figurines kept and some special offers made and maybe some special acts of worship and devotion to this particular God might just change this situation for you. 
And in fact, you kind of hear through the rumor mill, like, these other people that you knew, maybe that's something they considered. Maybe now their situation's different. This is something you consider, right? Imagine that, like, not, in, not uh, instead of that, but in addition to that, you're also reliant on your shepherd herd, your sheep herd, or your, your goat herd to feed your family and your extended family, and it's dependent on rains that water pastures, and it's dependent on the rain falling, so the grass growing, so that you can raise these flocks and use them to sustain yourself. And the rains aren't falling. They're not falling. And you're part of a long and ancient community, and it used to reside in Egypt. And in your family now, for hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years, there's been this little, like, secret thing you guys do and don't really talk about, right, much. But there's some little acts of observation, and maybe there's this other God who kind of helps out in situations like this, right? And maybe you can make an observation, or you can maybe you can make some sort of commitment, or maybe you can make a little offering, right? That can just help out in this situation, right? Because you, maybe you, you know, you're, you're a person of Israel, and you believe in God, but maybe you can also, I don't know, hedge your bets a little bit. I want to think about that, that real situation. Imagine yourself being in that situation with real needs, and real hurts, and real desires, and real, real fears, and the world around you is saying, hey, you've got some options. You've got some options. The other people around you are doing it. Why don't you just give that a try? What's the harm? What's the hurt? Might actually work. What do you do? What do you do? You're at a crossroads in that moment. Man, that's a good name for a sermon series. We should dig into that. We should really stick with it. Oh, look at that. <laughs> we should dig into that for a little while. Over the course of the next few weeks, I want us to look at some stories that come from the Hebrew Bible, from the Old Testament, these key foundational stories of our faith. And people come to these moments. People come to these moments where they have choices to make. And sometimes these moments are staring you in the face like a 12-foot Philistine with a big sword and a suit of armor, and you have to decide what to do. No spoilers. And sometimes they're quiet and private and something you're discussing just inside your own home. And you might not even realize it, but you're at a crossroads. What do you do? Our scripture reading today came from the book of Joshua. Joshua is one of the uh, earliest books in the Hebrew Bible. And just to catch you all up, in case it's, the chronology is not immediately coming to the front of your mind, so... We have the story of the people of Israel who've come to reside in Egypt over time and have become enslaved in Egypt. And then God works through God's prophet Moses to bring God's people out of slavery in Egypt. God brings them to Mount Sinai and starts to reveal to them what it is to be a covenant people, what it is to be my people. I'm a promise-making, promise-keeping God, and here's how you become my people. That was our scripture reading that we focused on last Sunday. And then there's 40 years spent wandering in the wilderness, 40 years of a community of people learning to rely on God for everything. They're led by a pillar of fire during the day and a pillar of cloud, and they are a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud during the day to lead them on where they're going. They're being provided for with manna and quail. They're being shaped into what it is to rely on God for everything, and then God leads them into the promised land that God has for them. And over the course of a long time, they uh, encounter a number of other people and God helps them as be established in that land. God leads them to victory. And then they settle. 
it's theirs now. And they're never 100% safe, but they are absolutely settled. And the, the community is divided up into different lands for different tribes. So you're settled there with their extended people, your family, your kin, your land. Things are finally looking stable for you. And if you're 20 years old now, this is all you've ever known in your life. You've heard stories about God providing for people. You've heard stories about the sun standing still when the people of Israel fought the Amorites. And you've heard stories about the walls around Jericho falling down. But the sun doesn't really stand still, does it? And walls don't really fall down just from horns blasting, do they? And bodies of water don't separate just because God's prophet commands them, do they? I mean, surely those are just stories. Toward the end of his life, Joshua, who was the successor to Moses and the person who actually led the people of Israel into the promised land, has seen God provide, has seen God prevail, has seen God's faithfulness and what God has done, leading God's people to the place God would have them be. And he's got one last thing to do. So he calls together the different leaders of the different tribes and has them join him at Shechem where they've previously established what it is that God has done for them in his last dying moments. He says, you need to pick what you're going to do. And you need to pick who you're going to follow. You need to pick. And if you can't serve your God, then let it be the God of the Amorites, the people whose land you inhabits, or some other foreign gods that your people worshipped when we were still back in Egypt. But as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. Because he's seen in this moment of growing complacency and ease how easy it is for people to start to look elsewhere to provide for them in their moment of need, their moment of trouble, and their moment of doubt. We read the Ten Commandments last week. And these first commandments, you will have no other gods before me, and you will not make idols and worship them instead of me. And that seems kind of abstract in the city of Fort Worth on the other side of the world over 3,000 years later, right? I mean, do any of you guys have Asherah poles in your backyard that you use for cultic worship practices? I mean, home goods doesn't sell them, so where are you going to get them? <laughs> right? Do any of you have tribal rituals for Baal that you have to participate in? Do any of you have to make sacrifices to any of the Roman pantheon before you participate in your guild? Probably not. This can seem so abstract to us, right? But I submit to you that having other gods before God and worshiping idols, meaning putting your rest and your hope and your love in something other than God, is actually the biggest spiritual threat that faces our community and our people today. You imagine a hypothetical 2,000 years ago, and whatever it is that's causing you to fear or to doubt, right? Whatever it is that's making you uncertain, whatever it is that's making you uncomfortable, the world that surrounded you had an additional answer for that. Now just worship this person, make this sacrifice, do that thing. And it sounds so easy for us to sit in judgment from a distance on the other side of the world and with our knowledge of medicine, with our knowledge of science and our knowledge of the economy and meteorology and all of these things and our Christian convictions to say, how dare they lose sight like that? How dare they be of such little faith? How dare they do something like defile themselves, like worshiping a god like that or a handmade idol? How dare they? They just don't get it. Well, put yourself in that situation. You're at a crossroads. What do you do? In 2022, 
there's not a lot of people pushing you to worship to Asherah or to worship to Baal or to worship to Mars or Dionysus or any of the other pantheon of gods that a cosmopolitan person would have encountered a long time ago. But false gods remain in our community. did a sermon series a year ago where I named four particular false gods that I think are particularly powerful in our world that receive a lot of worship from our communities. These are the false gods of wealth, power, fame, and sex appeal. And these are false gods. These are people, these are gods that we give our energy and our momentum and our hopes to, and we worship so often unintentionally without realizing what we're doing to the point where we've created idols and false gods out of them. So I just want to clarify, if y'all have heard me speak before, you, you know this is one of the things I like to harp on a lot, but uh, there's always new folks coming in, and so I want to circle back around. Worship is not just coming here on a Sunday morning, rain or shine, good for you, and singing with Clint. Worship is not just coming to this place or logging in online and hearing the words and participating in the sacraments, etc. Worship is the act by which you proclaim something is the foundation of your life. Worship is you saying, at the end of the day, when the chips are down and everything else is falling apart, I've still got this. That's what worship is. And everybody worships something. It's key to human nature. You are a spiritual being. Everybody worships something. The question is, did you ever intentionally sit down and say, this is the thing that I worship? That's what Joshua is asking people to do. He's standing to the people at this moment and saying, choose, pick, what is it going to be? Is it going to be these gods that are part of the community around you that say they have a solution to all of your problems if you'll just do this and that for them? Is it these community gods that followed us like a plague for hundreds of years that you picked up in a foreign land? Or is it God, your God, the God who drew Abraham out of, the, out of his land and promised that through him he would bless all the multitudes? Is it the God that worked through Isaac and through Joseph? Is it the God that continues to work in bringing God's people out of slavery and providing for us? The God who made the sun stand still, the God who brought the walls of Jericho down? Is it that God, the God who became known to us in Christ Jesus, or is it somebody else? Because make your pick. Make a choice. Don't just back into it. Do it intentionally. And so there's very few people, I think, in 2022 who are going to say, you know what, at the end of the day, when the chips are down, when everything else is falling apart, I believe in Asherah or Baal or Osiris or any of these other gods. I think there's very few people but I think there's a lot of people who say at the end of the day, when the chips are down, when everything's falling apart, I've still got my career. At the end of the day, when everything's falling apart, I've still got that bank account. At the end of the day, when the chips fall apart, I've still got this marriage. At the end of the day, when everything falls apart, and when the chips are down, I've still got these kids. What you've done is taken good things, important things, wonderful things, sometimes even gifts from God, and you've taken them past loving them, caring for them, appreciating them, to worshiping them, making something that's not capable or stable or strong enough to be the, the source and the foundation for the entirety of your existence and putting it there where it doesn't belong. 
For those of you who were shocked that I brought up examples like spouses or children, to anybody who has a spouse, let me just ask you, do you want to be the sole person responsible for their happiness, for their well-being, for their life, and their salvation? Do you want that? Do you think it's ever appropriate to look at your child, whether they're 2 or 12 or 22 or 52, and say, my happiness and my well-being and my life and my salvation is dependent on you? It's not fair. It's not loving. It's idolizing. Okay. So here's where we go from preaching to instruction, uh, because I'm just feeling really Baptist right now. Um, don't tell them I said that. That's all like, you should, you should, you should. Like, okay, but how? Like, how? How do I actually do this? Do I just say the sinner's prayer and just go to brunch? Like, if life is actually about building my life on the foundation of Christ, if you hear this call from Joshua and you say, hey, maybe I never actually did it before. I was just going with the flow. But today, I'm just going to make sure I do it on purpose. Yes, Christ is who I serve, right? Or maybe you're someone who's never actually considered that at all before, and this feels kind of radical and maybe a little bit vulnerable for you. But you've tried everything else, and that's only gotten you this far, so maybe I'll give this a try. And for the first time ever, okay, yes, Christ is who I serve. Now what? That's what I want to leave you with for the remainder of our time today. There's three steps I want you to consider. The first step, we just brought it up, is choose. Just choose. If you have a grandchild or a kid or a friend or someone who's in college or a young adult, and you're kind of hoping that they go to church, right? But you're not really sure and you don't want to ask because you don't want to ruin it. The question is not, did you worship this week? The question is, what did you worship this week? because you worship something. You put all your time and all your energy and all your hope and all your eyeball focus into something this week. What was it? What did you worship this week? And for a lot of us, that's accidental and it isn't intentional. Choose whom you serve. If you say it's Christ, I've got a next step for you. If it's not, I'm, I'm not your guy. <laughs> Number two, you need to find your place. If you choose Christ, and I can't make you, and your mom can't make you, and your spouse can't make you, and your grandma can't make you, if you choose Christ, key to choosing Christ is the realization that it's not something that you do alone. Now, your internal, personal relationship with Christ is of vital importance, but Christian discipleship, meaning being one of the people who has chosen Christ, is never a solitary work. One of the greatest things ever that happened in this story of Christianity was the Gutenberg printing press and the availability for everyone to have their own copy of the Bible. But one of the greatest challenges that was ever presented to the Christian story is everybody having their own access to Scripture and then internalizing what it is to be faithful and not doing it as a part of a community. And I know that y'all are the ones who are here on a Sunday morning, so you're the ones who get it. But if you need to explain it to anybody else, it's not something that you can do alone. You have to find your place. And finding your place doesn't just mean the church. Finding your place means finding your people. And a key part of you choosing to serve Christ means finding people that you're going to do it with. We've been emphasizing this idea of finding your place together as a church over the whole course of October. And the language that we use over and over again is we call it worship plus one, but basically it's this. We need you to have your place that's not just you listening to someone with a Madonna microphone on. 
We need you to have some community of people who are expecting you, who know you, who are ready to hear your story and tell you theirs in return. Some people that can be praying for you and supporting you. Some people that for whom you can pray and support. That's just what it is to be the body of Christ. We don't do it alone. It could be something like participating in the men's breakfast. It can be a UMW circle. It can be a grace group. It can be a Bible study. It can be one of our service groups. It could be volunteering in the children, the youth, any of these other different opportunities. But it's, it's moving from being a place where you go to a church to you're a part of a church. And I hope it's here. We've got so much. But if this isn't the place for you, then find your place. Because it's much too important to leave to chance. Choose who you're going to serve. Find your place. And then what do you do? You need to fill your plate. You need to fill your plate. And this is the language that we've used for five years to teach discipleship here at First Church, and I'm never going to get tired of explaining it because it's too important. It's too key. It's too vital. It is too foundational for you having the life that God made you to have. I've got four kids, and every night when we make dinner, there is a protein, and there is a grain, and there is a vegetable, and there's, let's be honest, a dessert. <laughs> and what I want more than anything is an empty plate. <laughs> I do not get it. <laughs> there's the kid who just eats mac and cheese. And there's the kid who just eats the meat. And there's the kid who just eats the dessert. <laughs> And what I keep trying to tell them is all of these things are good, but you need all of them, right? You don't need just so much of one. You need a little bit of all of them. We use that metaphor, the healthy plate, the well-balanced plate, to describe what it is to experience the transforming grace of Christ in your life. If you choose to serve Christ and then you find your place, your church, your people, and you are ready to rock, then the rest of your life is just this, making sure that your day, your week, your month have some of all of this in there. It has some worship. You proclaiming you God are the foundation of it all. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I am a flawed person. I need your help, but I am clear on this. At the end of the day, when the chips are down and everything has fallen apart, there is still you. You're the rock. You're the foundation. I'm saying it. I'm trusting it, and I'll do it again tomorrow. That is worship. Learning is actually learning the story. It's actually diving into the goodness of what God has for you. It's actually realizing that who you are and what you're going through and your needs and your experiences are not just unique to you, but other people have been there too and experienced God's goodness and God's grace right through the middle of it. I promise. And the story is there for you to learn. And it makes sense. Serving. Is saying, I am going to be the hands and feet of God in the world, not just because it's nice and not just because I'm good, but because self-giving love and pouring out for the benefit of others is who God is. Shown to us in Christ Jesus, this is what God is all about. And this is what following God's mean, God means. I'm not just nice. Or I'm not just helpful. I'm actually modeling the one who's saving me every single day. That's what service is. 
Playing is realizing that this world, this life, is actually good. And it's not just a test for us to pass, and it's not a season for us to endure, but rather it's a good creation that God made us to enjoy. Giving is living sacrificially with what we have and putting our resources first. Jesus talks constantly about money, not because there's a problem with money, but because the love of money and the worship of money and the idolization of money and the belief that money will insulate you from everything the world has to offer is the root of all evil. And so we live sacrificially and generously to make sure that it doesn't have that kind of a hold on us. And Nancy, our director of stewardship, is here. Nancy, close your ears. If you think I'm saying that just to raise money for the church, give it somewhere else. Give it somewhere else. I'm not saying that to raise the budget. I'm saying that for the good of your soul. I'm saying that for the good of my soul. If you think I'm up here just saying malarkey to raise the budget, give it somewhere else. It's a spiritual discipline for you. Okay, Nancy, on, on your muffs. Because that's the truth. That's the truth. We filled out our pledge card this week. We give 10% this year, every year, back to our mid-20s, and we'll never stop because of what it's done for our life and our hearts. And finally, don't pray because you should. Don't pray because it's the right thing to do. Don't pray to check it off your list. Pray because Christ is alive and real and risen and present and over time, and it takes time, and with practice, and it takes practice, and then getting better, and it's something you can get better at. You can actually begin to hear and know and feel the presence of the living Christ in your everyday life. It's about way more than just lifting up your problems and receiving solutions. It's about way more than lifting up troubles and receiving peace. It's about living the life connected with the one connected to all. Choose who you're going to serve. Take a moment and actually think about it. What is at the foundation of my life, spoken or unspoken, and don't let it be unspoken anymore? If it's Christ, find your place. Find your people. Find folks who are struggling on this journey just like you are. And it's in that shared effort that you can grow and so can they. And finally, live a life balance with these means of grace, this real power, this real work in your lives. If Joshua is standing right here. He says, choose. Choose who it's going to be. Is it going to be social media followers? Is it going to be college football? Is it going to be endless wardrobe adjustments and cosmetic procedures? What's it going to be? Choose. If you're one of the people that says, it's Christ. All my doubts, all my hurts, all of my hang-ups, it's Christ. Here's what's next. It's time to choose. Let's pray. Jesus, there are so many ways in which we can imagine that there's so many other things that can provide for us. Our belonging, our security, our significance, our prayers can be answered somewhere else, by someone else, through something else. Lord, help us to realize that whatever we need, the answer is found ultimately in you. For those who are in a season of complacency and needing a chance to recommit, needing an opportunity to refocus. I ask that you pour out an extra measure of your grace and presence for those on the fence, for those considering for the first time. I ask only that you help them see how whatever you call them to is better than whatever you call them to leave behind. 
Lord, guide us, keep us, shape us in your image. And it's together that we pray the words that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The great mystery of faith is that for every step that we take, Christ takes 10 steps towards us, right? He, he gives us the freedom and the openness to respond to him and to receive him. And when we do, he makes up the distance so quickly. A perfect example of this, something that we can taste, touch, feel, and know is the sacrament of Holy Communion. On the day that he was to give himself up for us, the day before the crucifixion, Jesus had dinner with his disciples, his followers, the apostles, his best friends, and knowing that they would see his body broken, he took a loaf of bread, said, take this bread and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the meal was over, he knew that they would see his blood shed. So he took an ordinary cup of table wine, gave thanks over it, blessed it and passed it, and said, take all of you and drink. For this is my blood of the new covenant, the new promise, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we eat and drink often in remembrance of the one who promises us that through his power, presence, and grace, he will be the source of our salvation, our redemption. As I invite you to come forward, well, you're going to be led by uh, ushers that are going to lead you from the rear of the room first. They're going to dismiss you row by row. Those who are assisting with communion are going to go ahead and come to the front and to two stations that we have up in the balcony. Balcony, the last couple weeks, I forgot to mention that we have communion servers in the balcony, but you figured it out because it ain't that hard. Thank you very much. But we also have communion stations in the balcony. When you come forward down these two center aisles, after the ushers release you, you'll hold your hands open, your hands open like this. Someone with a food service glove at the first station will take a pre-cut slice of bread and place it in your hands. You'll then go to one of the outside stations where someone with a pre-filled cup of grape juice will have a tray in front of you. You'll take a cup out of that tray, eat the bread, and drink the juice. And then as you head up the outside aisles, there will be a trash can for you to place the now empty cup into. We always use non-alcoholic grape juice so that we're fully inclusive of people who take their sobriety very seriously. We also have gluten-free stations for anyone who has a sensitivity to wheat. This is not the First United Methodist Church's table. This is not the gatherings table. It is Christ's table, like Christ's grace, like Christ's love. It is for everybody, every age, every background, everywhere. The table is set. The meal is ready. As the ushers lead you, come forward and be fed.